All right, all you geeks out there. Here he is, my geeky husband. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome everyone to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. It's Saturday, December 10th, 2005, and this is show number 15. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. If you mean Strand Mitchell there, I won't do it. Scotty, beat me up. Watch out for Lieutenant Kirk. Fascinating. Mr. Spock is right, and you're a fool if you can't see it. Absolute power corrupting absolutely. Stand by to receive our transmission. Hello, everyone. This is Rico, and this is show number 15. I want to welcome any new listeners to the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast, and also I want to thank anyone who's been listening for uh, the previous shows. Welcome back. Uh, This week's going to be a a fun show. Going to talk about quite a few things. Talk about one of my favorite, again, Star Trek episodes. Uh, That's going to be later on in the the broadcast. That's going to be the first season... Well, second pilot they did for Star Trek, it's going to be Where No Man Has Gone Before. So that's the episode I'm going to be discussing. The replica later on is going to be the Rebel Blaster, as seen in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. But before we get to that, uh, I just have a few little kind of housekeeping announcements to go through that I wanted to cover first. Then we'll do a little listener email. Um, the first thing I would like to say again is I'd like to thank everyone uh, that's been on the forums for the website, which is at www.3ws.treksf.com, or just treksandsci-fi.com is where you can find the main website for the podcast with some other stuff there. But I'd like to thank the people participating, and there's a Frapper map and the forums and all that good stuff going there. So thanks, everyone, for that. Uh, the... Um, the other thing I want to mention is I'm still working on, again, I think I say this just about every week, but I'm still working on revising my collection pictures, and my plan is over the next few weeks, over the holidays, to try to update some of that and get more up and clean it up a little. So that's uh, that's my goal, at least, for the website. And the other couple of things I want to mention, uh, again, for the show, my, the email for the show is treksf at gmail.com. I also wanted to mention that I'm on Skype, not on Skype very often. Generally, I'm on Skype when I'm playing like World of Warcraft or doing other things uh, in, in online games like that. But the Skype uh, handle I use is also TrekSF. So if you ever see that on there, uh, you know, give me a holler and I'll, uh, I'll try to answer you. Uh, the last thing on the housekeeping part of things I wanted to mention was Podcast Alley. I've got a few votes for this month, and I'm hoping for a few more before the end of the month. I think I ended up with, I don't know, maybe about 13, 14, 15, something like that, votes in November. So I'm kind of hoping to get a few more in December. I know people are busy with the holidays coming. I know I'm busy. It's one of the reasons I'm doing and recording this broadcast, this podcast, on Saturday this weekend instead of Sunday. I'm trying to kind of push it and get it get it mostly at least finished up today maybe clean it up a little bit tomorrow and upload it then but i'd uh got a few things i'd like to take care of christmas lights and decorations and things tomorrow so 
I know everyone's real busy, but if you get a moment, and there's a link on the main podcast page for the website of, of where to go direct to Podcast Alley for voting purposes. So if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate a vote. And uh, I think that's about it for the announcement section. Then we're going to get into some uh, listener emails, a couple of, couple of them that I got this week that I wanted to mention. And that's going to be right uh, after this. Incoming transmission, Captain. Okay, we're going to try a little uh, background music again for the listener email section. Just got a couple emails I wanted to mention. The first one is from, let's pull it up here on the computer, from Mark uh, Pompani. Pompani? I think I'm saying that right. Maybe not. Uh, But Mark uh, wrote, Hey Rico, I just wanted to send you a quick note to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. Keep up the good work, he says. And uh, he's also asking if I plan on doing any shows on the Enterprise itself and or on time travel. Time travel is a very interesting subject to me, he says. Well, Mark, um, on the forum I posted just yesterday a list of possible, um, what you call it, different themes for kind of theme-based podcasts in the future, you know, one about time travel, one about the different ships in Star Trek, uh, one about sci-fi TV shows that are kind of forgotten, a couple couple other ideas. But I'd like to... uh, get people's feedback so if you want to hop on the forum there or write me an email about different themes i'm definitely going to do something about the ships in star trek sometime a theme going to do something on the movies and probably something on time travel that's a pretty big topic but um just want to say uh, you know thanks for the email mark and i really appreciate that and i am going to cover some of those subjects that you mentioned in it the next email let me pull that one up is from, uh, I got one of these before from Len Preston. He says, hey, Len, um, or sorry, hey, Rico, really enjoyed your conversation with your son about the Manticore sci-fi movie. And, yeah, I, I, I like doing that, too. He says, what a great idea, and it was to include this fun segment. He says, listening to you guys rag on this movie, it was very enjoyable. I, I especially enjoyed your son's comments about the guys figuring out that if some bullets wouldn't kill the Manticore, maybe more bullets would. Uh, I guess all, uh, I guess not all commentary has to be positive, huh? Yeah, well, that movie, I, I wanted to kind of use it as an example of, of a not a very good uh, sci-fi film out there. Something that we just kind of watched for, almost made it more to make fun of it, I guess, and, and to enjoy in that way, but, but not so much that that was a great sci-fi type film. He uh, also says he likes the comments about driving around at the Christmas time. I still haven't got that mini mini cast put together from our i river that we recorded uh last week but i'm going to try to do that over the next week or so and he he liked that uh and then he says i liked your commentary on this side of paradise the drug allegory was something i hadn't considered before now that i think about it it's really pretty obvious and he looks forward to my next show and the mini cast then he said p.s why does it take so long to do your show so much time to do your show well uh i wrote a little bit back to him about that but in essence, it's just it, it's just me and the equipment and, and, and getting a lot of the bugs worked out of my, my process and system. You know, I put a lot of audio background into uh, the show, clips from the, the TV show and various things like that. So it that takes a while to prepare. I kind of write down some notes about what I want to talk about on the podcast. And then 
obviously recording it and editing it and later on like that takes uh, some time. And then I do a lot of work on the website along that. That's not really directly related to the podcast, but it all takes time. So I guess that's the answer. It's, you know, taking me four or five hours maybe to do a show, give or take, plus the, like I said, the website work that I do for it too. So anyway, thanks a lot for that uh, email, Len. And that's about it for the email section. Next, uh, I'm going to talk about sci-fi in movies and TV currently a little bit. Just a few comments about what's going on out there, a little news in the world. And we'll do that right after this. Hey everyone, this is Scott Johnson from the Extra Life Radio Show. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with my friend Rico. Okay, the, um, right now it's the holidays, December. A lot of movies are released right now. Um, I have not seen much lately. Uh, I'm kind of, I've kind of slowed down. Part of it's the podcast working on that. Part of it's, uh, oh, there's a lot of things. But um, I still wanted to see Eon Flux sometime. I was kind of a fan of the old MTV animated uh, show that they did about that. And I'd like to see that film sometime, although I, I'm tempted to just wait to DVD. I've heard mixed things about it. Uh, I do like to make up my own mind about these films, but it's not something I'm rushing out to see. I do want to see The Chronicles of Narnia. I'd like to go this weekend. I'm hoping to do that, so maybe I'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Uh, next week's podcast if I get a chance to check it out. And the big one that I'm looking for in the films coming up, uh, sci-fi fantasy-ish, I guess, is King Kong by Peter Jackson. Um a remake, I guess you could call it. Not so much a remake in a way. I mean, the other movie, 1933, I mean, there are a lot of people that have seen that, of course. But this movie, I think, is going to be so different and so much bigger and, you know, $200 million budget and all. I think um, Peter Jackson did a wonderful job on Lord of the Rings. I was a huge, or am a huge fan of those films. He did a great job there. And I think this movie is looking pretty good. So I'm really looking forward to that. That I will be seeing very, very soon. Um, hopefully next weekend, if just a few days. It comes off out Wednesday this week, I believe, in the States at least. So so that's it for the film end of it, for the most part. I mean, there's some other things, I think, coming, but on the sci-fi and fantasy end of it, that's about it for the, for the Christmas period, I think, as far as I can recall right now. Television uh, is kind of in reruns right now. The only thing that I did watch over the last uh, week or so was the sci-fi channel miniseries called Triangle, which I thought they did a real good job. They had some pretty good talent in in the show, good actors. It was a three-part, two-hour-each-night uh, miniseries, and I, I really liked it. I thought it was a little different. They, you know, they didn't uh, sort of play down to the audience too much, and I think they had some pretty neat ideas and a pretty neat explanation about the whole Bermuda Triangle area. Now, I'm, of course, this is just a science fiction type thing, and, and I'm kind of not necessarily... You know, their explanation is obviously just made up in fiction, but even with that, I think they did a good job with it, and it was very interesting the way they pulled it all together, especially in the last part. So if anyone's seen that or or maybe hasn't seen it, check it out. But if you have seen it, you know, maybe send me an audio or, or an email about it and tell me what you thought, and I can talk about it uh, on another show. The, uh, the other show, Surface, Invasion, Threshold, the other big sci-fi shows this year, well, Threshold was just canceled, I think, well, not I think I, it was. 
the Invasion, I watched a few of those, didn't really care for, and Surface is, in, um, is gone for a few weeks at least. So I guess that's about it. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention about sci-fi and television is that Sci-Fi Fridays, Stargate, or SG-1, Atlantis, Battlestar Galactica, thank goodness, it's all going to be back. I believe the the first real weekend in January, you know, not the first, uh, or I guess I should say the first Friday. I think January 6th is the first Friday in January. And I know Battlestar Galactica is premiering in the States again, the the second part of the second season, which it'll be, uh, you know, they did like 10 episodes, I think, already for the second season, and this will be the last half of that. And that's going to start in, you know, early January, which... I really, really like Battlestar Galactica, and I know when it starts up again, I'm going to talk about that during these podcasts a little bit more. But I think they're doing a great job with that show. It's it's just so well written and acted, and it's just it's just just a really good science fiction show. And the Stargate shows are also a lot of fun. Not nearly as serious and intense as Battlestar Galactica, but that's good too. You don't want every show to be the same. So, looking forward a lot. And and I know my one my son who I've had on the show a couple of times is also looking forward to it. So. We'll probably do a few little mini casts about those shows when they when they start back up again, uh, just in a couple of weeks. And that's about it for the for the sci-fi and local or not local or whatever uh, TV movie news that's going on. Um, I did pick up the Fantastic Four movie on DVD, which I thought was an okay film. I'm a I'm a fan of the comic, and it wasn't the greatest. I think they did a lot better job with Spider-Man and X-Men, but I picked that up on DVD. Just because I think it was a little, it was a fun movie to watch, and I just uh, would like to see it again a couple of times and show it to a few people that haven't seen it. So I got that picked up uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, and the second part of the Clone Wars series that they did for the um, uh, Cartoon Network, w- which was out uh, just before Episode Three came out, I picked that up also. I think the Clone War cartoon series that they did. They did a really good job with that, and it really led into episode three. I was really glad that I watched it uh, before I saw the movie. It gave you some background on Grievous and, and things like that, and, and I, I highly suggest and recommend that if anyone has never seen that on the Cartoon Network, um, both the first series of it and the second series, that you pick up the DVDs. They're not too expensive, and the animation is it's a little different. You know, Maybe things you might be, not be used to. I think the guy that worked on uh, what was it called? Samurai Jack. Uh, Gary Tarkovsky. I, I'm not sure how you say his last name, but he did that uh, series. He's a fairly big Star Wars fan, I believe. And the animation style is a little different than than what a lot of people in the in the United States, especially. It's it's sort of uh, anime-ish kind of style to some degree. Real fast, real quick. Um, and the characters, the way they're drawn, and that are are are, are kind of I wouldn't call it so much real anime, but they're it's not a typical Americanized cartoon series, but I still found it really good, really interesting, and I liked it. And it was kind of disappointing that they didn't get more of the people's, the real people uh, who did the voices, you know, the real actors to do the voices for the for the series. But it's real visual anyway. There's not a lot of dialogue. I mean, there is some at some parts, but it, it, it's a lot of visuals that you you don't really even get to see in the in the film. So definitely check that out if you haven't had. If you're a Star Wars fan, which I am. Um, Take, take a look at it if you haven't yet. So so that's it for this part of the podcast. Now we're going to get into the, the Star Trek uh, commentary discussion section, which uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, this uh, episode we're going to be looking at for the week is Where No Man Has Gone Before, like I said earlier on. And we'll be talking about that in a moment. 
Accessing library computer data. The Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast. Okay, before we get into the real uh, meat of talking about where No Man Has Gone Before, I was thought I'd go over a little background about how this episode came about uh, that some people listening to the show may know, some may not. Probably most of you know, but Star Trek was very unusual in the 60s for, for this reason. Uh, Gene Roddenberry originally uh, created a pilot for Star Trek called The Cage. This is the, the show that's uh, used within the show called The Menagerie with the other captain, Captain Christopher Pike, as the captain of the Enterprise. So Gene Roddenberry originally created a crew with Pike in command. Spock was aboard still, but no Kirk, no McCoy. And this pilot called The Cage, which uh, if you're familiar with that, The Menagerie was a, uh, a very ambitious uh, pilot for a science fiction series, for any series really for that matter. And the network at the time did not really care for it. They The, the story usually goes is that the network said that the, now this this pilot this this show is too cerebral it's there's too much thinking going on we need more action and actually the you know the cage does have some action in it but yeah there's some deep themes there that i guess they just weren't comfortable with so without prolonging this too much uh, Gene Roddenberry in a, in a very unusual situation and turn of events was given a second chance he was given another chance to create a pilot and the pilot that was ultimately selected, the story that was selected, is the one we're going to talk about this week, Where No Man Has Gone Before, written by Samuel Peoples. The, the, there were a couple other scripts that were being tossed around for the second pilot. One was the Omega Glory, uh, which was later turned into an episode, and the other one was Mud's Women. Now, out of those three storylines, if you're familiar with those, uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before is by far, to me, the the greatest of those three storylines. I mean, it has the, the most adventure. It has the most, you know, there's a lot of character things going on in the story. And it's just, it's it's good that the network actually, for a change, uh, had had the right thing in mind. It was actually the episode or the pilot for the second one that was going to cost the most of those three storylines, which is a little also surprising because you'd think with a second pilot they would have tried to pick the one that was going to be the cheapest to produce. But they went all out, and it and it shows in this episode. There's a lot of visuals, a lot of things that aren't seen in other episodes, and they did they did a real good job with it. And it's what uh, ultimately, without without where no man has gone before, with uh, William Shatner, Canadian-born actor uh, that Gene Roddenberry has seen in a f- had seen in a few uh, things, chose for uh, because Jeffrey Hunter basically turned down the role of Captain Kirk, and. You know, then you had um, William Shatner stepping into the role of the commander of the Enterprise, quite a bit different than than Pike, actually. A lot more, uh, you know, a lot closer to his crew in a way. It's hard to describe. You know, Hunt, Hunt, Jeffrey Hunter, at least in the role of Pike in the Cage and in Menagerie, he was kind of a little aloof. I guess he came off as to some degree, and, and Kirk was, you know, he sort of had those highs and lows. You know, you could see him going crazy one moment and you know a serious commander the next i mean he was kind of all over the map and it really made it interesting for both stories to work off the other actors i think over the course of the series and i think star trek owes quite a bit obviously to william shatner and the character of captain kirk but um getting a little off uh, the main topic here but this is obviously a big change for the second pilot you know bringing in a, a lead a, a change in the lead for the uh 
for the main role or one of the main roles in the series. Quite quite a bit of a change there. So again, uh, very uh, early in Star Trek's history, you can see that um, things were being done that were not being ever done before. Almost like the title of the episode, "Where No Man Has Gone Before." So, with all that said. I'm going to now just play you the uh, original promo for the episode that was used for War No Man Has Gone Before. Here we go. Captain's Log, star date 1312.4. The next mission of the Enterprise takes us into an unknown force field which affects the destiny of my closest friend. I understand you least of all. Gary told me that you've been friends since he joined the service, that you asked for him aboard your first command. It is my duty, whether pleasant or unpleasant, to listen to the reports, observations, even speculations on any subject that might affect the safety of this vessel. It's like a man who has been blind all of his life, suddenly being given sight. Sometimes I feel there's nothing I couldn't do in time. Some people think that makes me a monster, don't they, Jim? What would you do in my place? Kill me. Okay, so that's the the promo for the episode. Now a couple things we'll talk about uh, to start with. We have uh, Gary Lockwood in the role of Gary Mitchell as the, um, the, the guy, the crewman, Lieutenant Commander Mitchell, that is affected by what the Enterprise encounters in this episode. Now Gary Lockwood, uh, Gene Roddenberry had used him in a previous series called The Lieutenant and had liked his performances and so he selected he was selected to play Gary uh Gary uh in this episode also and Gary Lockwood that uh was a good thing because he knew Gene Roddenberry and it, you you can pick up that that he's real comfortable in the role of Gary Mitchell in this episode and there's a, a good camaraderie between him and Captain Kirk they um you can tell they're they've been friends for a long time they trust each other and the the great thing you know another really good thing that is done often in Star Trek is that you know Kirk wrestling with this whole fact of what happens to his friend and what he has to do but I'm getting a little ahead in in what I wanted to talk about so the other few things I wanted to say Spock's here you have some of the typical crew Sulu is in this episode but in sort of a different role and Scotty is still in place. We don't have Dr. McCoy yet in the in this pilot and where no man has gone before. There is uh, another guy named Mark uh, Piper, I think. Dr. Piper is his last name. And he is in he's an older gentleman and he's the doctor. There's not a, really a lot for him to do in this episode, but you you can tell that he just, you know, they needed somebody a little bit younger and they needed somebody that could play off of Kirk and and Spock more. And then, of course, DeForest Kelly came in after the pilot for um, Dr. McCoy, and that created a that you know triage or, or triangle of dynamic of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy that was used quite effectively throughout the first uh, you know the first Star Trek series. So, and the uh, main guest star, other main guest star, I guess, besides Gary uh, Mitchell, Gary Lockwood is Elizabeth Daner's character. Played by, and I'm blanking on her name. Let me look real quick. Ah, yes, yeah. Played by uh, Sally Kellerman, who was uh, a good actress in a lot of things at the time. I, I believe she was in the MASH movie, I think, if I re- remember right. Is 
Hot Lips Houlihan's. So, but she fits this part real well. She's she's very uh, scientific, and she she just she works well in this situation. And you could see there's sort of an attraction that ends up happening between her and uh, Mitchell in the show. You know, she's kind of a, this scientist. You know, he calls her a walking freeze unit at one point in the episode, and but you know, there's a little spark there between them, which, which ends up. Um, well, ends up being eventually Gary's downfall to some degree. So, and uh, so that's the characters for the second pilot where no man has gone before. Let me play the next clip. This is just in the early part of the episode where um, there's a chess game going on between Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock. And let me play that for you now. Your move, Captain. We should have intercepted by now. Bridge said they'd call. I'll have you checkmated your next move. (laughs) Have I ever mentioned you play a very irritating game of chess, Mr. Spock? Irritating? Ah, yes. One of your Earth emotions. Certain you don't know what irritation is? In fact, one of my ancestors married a human female. Terrible, having bad blood like that. I like that scene. There's a... There's a couple of nice things, you know. Kirk and Spock end up playing chess quite often in the in the original series, and there's there's a nice um, dynamic between it because, of course, Spock, expert uh, in in you know this 3D chess game that they play, he knows all the all the moves like a computer basically. Spock does, but Kirk always, well, we're not always, but manages to beat Spock a lot because. Kirk is unpredictable. Kirk does moves and, and does things that Spock is not expecting. And that is his strength as a captain and his strength in be, being able to play chess. He's obviously got to be a good you know, technical chess player, but with that little bit of an edge that he's got of doing the unpredictable that Spock would basically never do, that that Kirk is able to beat him. Which is what happens, actually, in this game in particular. And he kind of gets a little teased about it, Spock does, uh, when they meet up with Mitchell in the, in the turbo lift. Uh, but I think that's an important point to, to, to bring up. You know, that's, uh, that's what makes Kirk what he is, a good commander. And Spock is good, but, you know, Kirk could always basically predict what he would do. You know, and, and this didn't always happen. This, this changed occasionally, but it is, it is what makes that good situation between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy always, you know, there was always Kirk. Kirk was the decision maker. He could pull all the parts together and come up with the right move to make. Spock always had the technical knowledge, always had uh, the information that he needed. And McCoy would always throw in sort of the, you know, was sort of Kirk's conscious, con- um, you know, conscience, con- conscious, conscience, excuse me. And that that's what made the three of them, when they were together, basically un, unbeatable and why they were able to go out in the galaxy and do all the things that they could do and meet all the alien species and, you know, all the things that happened in the series and in the movies eventually, what made them a good team. So, But in this episode, you've got Gary Mitchell as Kirk's close friend, somebody he's known for, you know, I think he says, like 15 years in this episode. And I think it's kind of interesting, actually. It kind of... Uh, it's a little reminiscent of me, uh, or to me, of what happens in The Next Generation with the character of Riker and Picard, to, to a little bit of a degree. You know, you don't have, um, you didn't really end up having later on, since Gary Mitchell is only in this episode, you don't have that sort of other friend, human friend for uh, Captain Kirk. His best friend ends up being basically Mr. Spock. 
and you don't have another guy for him to bounce off of. Spock is the science officer. He's the first officer. He's second in command. And the other character that ends up being like Riker in um, The Next Generation is sort of like Gary Mitchell in this episode to a degree. I mean, you know, Riker was, was quite a bit younger than Picard, and so that's not quite exactly the same situation. But, you know, I'm just just kind of an analogy, I guess, there. Okay, the next clip I'm going to play is after um, they end up, the Enterprise goes through a, a barrier uh, at the edge of the galaxy, and, and this is what affects uh, Gary Mitchell and eventually Dr. Daner and creates, they, they, have a, they, they find out that they have sort of an affinity for ESP, both of them, and the, the effects of this barrier at the edge of the galaxy gives them sort of enhances and strengthens their abilities and powers especially with Gary Mitchell at first, and he is becomes basically a almost superhuman who has the ability to do things with his mind that are is not um, typical of humans. He can move objects around like a telekinesis thing. He can make people kind of do things, not not through a mental thing, but he can actually force them, push them, and things like that. So, But I'm going to play now Captain's Log, uh, the Captain's Log, after they go through the barrier and the status of the Enterprise, so we'll play that now. Captain's log, stardate 1312.9. Ship's condition, heading back on impulse power only. Main engines burned out. The ship's space warp ability, gone. Earth bases, which were only days away, are now years in the distance. Our overriding question now is, what destroyed the Valiant? They lived through the barrier just as we have. What happened to them after that? The thing I was going to mention there about that clip, the interesting thing I think about this episode, the way they use the captain's log, it's sort of a narration. They, they get a lot of exposition of what's going on in the show and, and background information, which this, this happens occasionally throughout Star Trek, but um, not really as much uh, as it does in this episode. This episode, I think they use... They use it almost as a little bit of a crutch, but it's okay. I mean, it's 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 a good way of, of slipping the audience information uh, about what's going on. They, they're usually played uh, after a commercial, after a break, so that when people, if they just came in to tune into the episode, they could see what's, hey, this is what's happening. The Enterprise is kind of messed up. Uh, one of the crewmen has been hurt. He's in sick bay, and they can kind of catch up and get up to speed what's going on, so... But the episode then, you know, of course, Gary's injured, and there's a scene in uh, Sick Bay between, that's a really good one, I really like this one coming up that I'm going to play, it's between uh, Captain Kirk and Gary in Sick Bay, and you get a little background on their relationship, and you get a background on, on what uh, they kind of have gone through together, and let's play that for you right now. Hey man, I remember you back at the Academy, a stack of books with legs. The first thing I ever heard from an upperclassman was, watch out for Lieutenant Kirk. In his class, you either think or sink. <laughs> that wasn't that bad, was it? If I hadn't aimed that little blonde lab technician at you. You what? You, you planned that? Well, you wanted me to think, didn't you? <laughs> I outlined her whole campaign for her. I almost married her. Better be good to me. Getting even better ideas here. Yeah, it's a good uh, good scene there. Good clip between Gary and, and Captain Kirk. 
couple things I wanted to say. Um, one, you can tell that they were, you know, they've been good friends a long time. They were at the academy together. Kirk is, and he's a little bit older, and he was as an instructor, and Gary as a student at the time. And, you know, they they brought this up in Shore Leave in that episode, which I reviewed uh, quite a few podcasts back. But, you know, that Kirk is, when especially when he was in those those early years, was very, very serious, serious student, um, was not a at all the type to go off and goof around and, you know, do hijinks and like Finnegan and Shore Leave. And, and Gary calls him a walking uh, sack of books with legs or something like that, so... It's it's interesting because Kirk doesn't really give you that impression that he would be like that, but um, you know he w- he was always very set on Starfleet and being a, the captain of a, a starship was so important to him. He was very dedicated, and and you can tell that 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 meant a lot, and that's why he probably was the way he was. The other interesting thing about this um, this scene in this clip is the whole thing with Gary telling him that he aimed this little blonde lab technician at Captain Kirk. Now, this, the usual story goes on this was that this, this blonde lab technician turns out to be Dr. Carol Marcus, who shows up in Star Trek II with, you know, David, Kirk's son. And they, they kind of, you know, she, she's blonde, she's in science, although she's not in a lab tech anymore. She's developing the Genesis device and all that in, in the Star Trek films. So that, that was kind of interesting that they went way back to the original or the second pilot of Star Trek to pick that pick up on that little tidbit. You know, he, Kirk says he almost married her and, and that kind of thing. So I like that. I like that they, this is all sort of connected. And it's a good scene. Um, you know, Gary Lockwood, uh, Gary Mitchell, Gary Lockwood was also in 2001 A Space Odyssey, a real interesting uh, and classic science fiction film. And I, I like what they did with this show that they were able to, with just a little bit of makeup they they grayed his hair a little bit on these sides as he gained power and he got he has these little silver eyes which is not an optical really effect occasionally it is where he shifts from regular eyes to silver and back and forth but most of it he's wearing these nasty nasty 1960s uh, contact lenses that i think i've heard that he had a pretty bad allergic reaction at the end of the shoot or during the shoot for for this um, episode but, you know, they didn't have quite the sophisticated eye contact lenses and soft things and all these little stuff that they have now that they can change your eyes to pretty much any color of the rainbow. But these things they stuck in his eyes back then, uh, they were uh, they were pretty nasty, but they, 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 they look good. They, I mean, it looks good. It, it's, uh, it's eerie. He kind of doesn't look, you know, it's always interesting with, with the eyes uh, in, in whether it's a comic book or TV or a movie that all you got to do is do something to somebody's eyes to to really uh, kind of freak people out, I guess, or change them a lot. I mean, the, the person is basically all the same, but you just change their eyes a little bit or you put a pair of glasses on them or something like that, and they become a completely different person. So I like that. I like that they didn't overdo that and they didn't give them, you know, like, you know, some weird other makeup or whatever. Um you know, mostly what was going on to here is that his part of his mind or his ESP abilities or area there were were becoming stronger and more enhanced. So it's not like he had to change his look quite a bit. So, but that's a good scene. I'm going to play the next one. Is also in sick bay. Uh, you know, Gary Mitchell after he's affected by the barrier spends quite a bit of time in sick bay. The next one's between uh, Doctor Daner and Gary Mitchell. And you can see uh, a little bit of growing attraction here between the two of them. 
and Gary playing around with his new powers and all that. So we'll play that clip for you now. How do you feel? You know, everybody, everybody seems worried that I don't have some kind of a fever or something. <laughs> Maybe if I could just change these dials. Now back to normal, I think. How did you do that? I'm not sure. I... <laughs> I just thought of making it happen, and it does. It just... <laughs> hey, um... Hey, watch this, Doc. for almost 22 seconds. There were no readings at all. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit more to that. They talk about um, Gary Mitchell also has the ability to uh, read really fast now, and he talks about some poetry that he'd read and some romantic uh, passages, and uh, you can tell that the two of them are uh, starting to like each other a little bit more than they did at the start of the episode. So that uh, that scene was good. The the nice thing about this episode, I think, one of the other things that I like is just that you know when you think about it, if somebody if if somehow you had been you give you're given these abilities like Gary is, where he can pretty much do anything he wants and has all this power, but it happens so fast, he just doesn't really know what to do with it, and he he just. He, he kind of plays around with it, and, and as Kirk says later in this episode, you know, that this power that he, he's, he's given corrupts him ultimately and destroys him. He just, his, his personality, his, you know, he's still a human being, and he is not really prepared to deal with uh, what, what he's been given. So, and they, they do a good job, I think it's slowly... You know, he, he's, he gets one scene, and then he'll have a little bit of... You can see what he's doing. He's moving a cup of water around. Another scene, he's zapping people and, and you know, be, be basically starting to think of himself as a god based, you know, sort of in, in reality because he can mold and do things and create things almost out of thin air. But, um, but I really like it. I think they do a great job with that. Gary Lockwood does a great job with the part, and this is a really, really good... Um, good strong episode for star trek in general and and a um, really good pilot for the show and is ultimately what created like i said earlier on what what ultimately allowed star trek to continue uh, in the 60s and beyond so next uh we're going to talk uh we're going to talk we're going to play the clip there's a a good scene in the briefing room where they're starting to wrestle with gary and what he's become what I want to play now is there's a real good scene here between Kirk and Spock and, and deciding what to do for both repairing the Enterprise and what to do about Gary Mitchell. And we'll play that right now. You heard the mathematics of it. In a month, you'll have as much in common with us as we'd have with a ship full of white mice. Well, I need a recommendation, Spock, not vague warning. Recommendation one. 
There's a planet a few light days away from here, Delta Vega. It has a lithium cracking station. We may be able to adapt some of its power packs to our engines. And if we can't, we'll be trapped in orbit there. We haven't enough power to blast back out. It is the only possible way to get Mitchell off this ship. If you mean strand Mitchell there, I won't do it. The station is fully automated. There's not a soul on the whole planet. Even the ore ships call only once every 20 years. Then you have one other choice. Kill Mitchell while you still can. Get out of here. It is your only other choice. Assuming you make it while you still have time. Will you try for one moment to feel? At least act like you've got a heart? We're talking about Gary. The captain of the Valiant probably felt the same way. And he waited too long to make his decision. I think we've both guessed that. Set course for Delta Vega. Okay, so as usual in most Star Trek episodes, Kirk Kirk has a, a big decision to make. He's got a friend that's uh, been uh, altered, been messed up, and he has to decide what to do, and of course he has to worry about his ship and his ship is always the most important thing to his mind to protect his ship, to protect most of his crew at least. And the the thing that, that Kirk has always had trouble with, and, and you know some of his enemies have taken advantage of this, is that he does not believe in the no-win scenario. He is trying to both save the Enterprise and his friend Gary at the same time. And Spock's basically pointing out to them, or to them, to Kirk here, that that's probably not going to be possible that the crew of this other ship that they encountered that had this similar problem, the Valiant, was, um, you know, the captain of that also probably went through the same kind of situation, and he messed up, and it destroyed their ship, and there was nothing left there. So this, um, but if Kirk is anything, he is decisive, and he, you know, Spock convinces him there, go to Delta Vega, then we'll decide what we can do. Maybe we can help Gary still. Maybe we can do something, but and we can hopefully at least repair the Enterprise, repair the ship, repair the engines, and get them back safely home. Kirk doesn't really, at this point, really have any intention of, of just marooning Gary, but... Okay, so they get they get to Delta Vega. Their next clip is uh, a scene with uh, Gary down there on the planet, and he's behind a force field, and it's a scene between Kirk mainly and Gary, and Mr. Spock is there also, and Dr. Daner trying to reason with Gary and find out um, that that may not be possible anymore. So we'll play that now. In the sick bay, you said if you were in my place, you'd kill a mutant like yourself. Why don't you kill me then? Mr. Spock is right and you're a fool if you can't see it. You don't mean that, Gary. Men cannot survive of a race of true espers is more. In time, you'll understand that. Yes. His eyes went back to normal. Fighting the force field drained his strength. For a while, at least, he could be handled now. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think he could be handled at that point. You know, Gary uh, is growing in power, and his um, the little silvery eye thing comes back very fast each time when he drains it. You know, trying to escape from this force field that he's uh, imprisoned in there. 
you know, he tries to get out of there, but each time it, it's a little bit, uh, um, drains some of his power and it comes back again. So anyway, but that's, uh, you know, logical cat or logical Mr. Spock is, you know, again, trying to tell and, and convince Captain Kirk that you can't save him. You can't save your friend. You need to do what's, what's best for the ship, what's best for the rest of the crew. And, and Kirk just is not willing to give up on his friend, on his, um, crewman, and he's he's having a hard time with that. And as most of you know that have seen this episode, this leads into a, uh, a final confrontation between uh, Dr. Daner, who has also uh, now become sort of superhuman, uh, Gary Mitchell and Captain Kirk, brave, heroic Captain Kirk, as usual, goes off to to solve the situation on his own. Well, not as usual. I mean, he doesn't always do that in these episodes. But in this one, he feels like he's responsible for for Gary what's happened. And he needs to solve the situation. He let it go too far. And people died uh, because of him waiting for this period of time and, and not taking action sooner. So then the last, or not last clip, but almost the last clip for the episode that I'm going to um, play now is near the very end where Captain Kirk is uh, is basically trying to confront Gary one last time and convince them uh, of the error of his way. So we'll play that uh, next. Morals are for men, not gods. God. It's still driven by human frailty. Do you like what you see? Time to pray, Captain. Pray to me. To you? Not to both of you? Pray that you die easily. There'll only be one of you in the end. One jealous God. If all this makes a God, or is it making him something else? Your last chance, Kirk. You like what you see? Absolute power corrupting absolutely. So Kirk is forced to uh, stop Gary Mitchell. Gets a little assistance from Dr. Daner to uh, subdue his uh, powers a little bit so Kirk can basically duke it out with Gary. A little side note here. Uh, there's a tombstone that Gary creates there for Captain Kirk. And in a close-up, a clip of it, you can see that uh, Captain Kirk at this point in time, his middle initial on the tombstone is an R and out of James T. Kirk, James Tiberius Kirk, that it becomes later on they they had used an R for his middle initial in this episode. Just a little side thing. It's it's pretty easy to pick up and see on on the DVDs. Probably not so much if it just shows uh, on your television set, but that's what that's there. So in the end, of course, um, Kirk is forced to stop Gary to kill Gary, and he um, he does what Kirk usually does, which which is um, what he has to do to to maintain the Enterprise and, and the rest or most of his crew. So. Last clip I'm going to play is just a log entry at the very end. Again, like I said earlier, they Kirk uses log entries throughout this episode quite a bit to to tell you what's going on, and, and this one is a, a fitting end for the uh, for the review. And after this log entry, I'm going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with the collectible. But we'll play uh, that entry for you right now. Captain's log, star date thirteen thirteen point eight. 
Add to official losses, Dr. Elizabeth Dana. Yet know that she gave her life in performance of her duty. Lieutenant Commander Gary Mitchell. Same notation. I want his service record to end that way. He didn't ask for what happened to him. I felt for him, too. I believe there's some hope for you after all, Mr. Spock. talk about uh, the collectible for this week. Now this collectible was also another piece by Master Replicas. It's a uh, Rebel Blaster that was seen in that opening scene, that classic opening scene from Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, which uh, all the rebels on the rebel uh, cruiser that Princess Leia is on are holding to, to stop the boarding party with Darth Vader. And they are all holding these these blaster rifle type uh, items, and to to sort of you know obviously keep these you know Empire guys out of the ship. This is a, a real nice piece. It probably first came out about a year ago by Master Replicas. I'll put again some pictures in on the website uh, in the podcast notes section that you can get to. But it's a it's a great piece. First off, um, it's of course very accurate to what was seen in the movie it's black with a a silver muzzle end on it with a sight and scope it's almost all metal construction it's powder coated a nice uh, dull black color and it also was based on on a real world weapon so there's some you know there's a trigger that it doesn't function or anything like that but you can see sort of where a where a bolt would come out you know if you were using cartridges in it for a normal type gun and that's still in place, so it's it, it looks like some sort of a, a real gun. But of course, somewhat futuristic with the silver muzzle, the different kind of scope. Uh, it's got a nice grip on it, and it has a really good weight to it when you pick it up and handle it. And I, I, it's a real good replica. Actually, this, this one I just got a, a couple of weeks ago. Master Replicas was having a real, real good sale for... Uh, and I think there's still a couple days left on it. I'm not sure if this is available to everyone or if it's just the members of their... They have a collector society that I belong to that gets you some discounts throughout the year on things. So, um, But anyway, the um, this has been uh, a piece that I wanted to get for quite a long time. And actually, I just picked it up recently uh, for probably less than half the original price of it. So that's always good. I like that. But comes with a nice display case as usual with most of the uh, master replica items they, they do a great job on packaging it all and putting everything into a real nice uh, display for uh, for your shelves or wherever you'd like to put it but uh, it's a real nice piece if you're a Star Wars fan at all I think they still have these available on their website yeah I'm pretty sure they do so I'll put a link to the to them on the on the podcast notes section just to um direct you there if you're interested to get more information about how to get one if you'd like but it's again the rebel blaster from star wars episode 4 a new hope and i got a a low number this was an edition size of 2500 on this piece and i got like number 127 
which is kind of strange because I ordered, you know, and just got this recently where these things have been out for months and months and months. The, there doesn't seem to be a real rhyme or reason to the, the numbering system that Master Replicas uses. Uh, some people seem to think they get lower numbers if you order it, get it sooner in the edition. But I've I've ordered pieces right away and gotten higher numbers, and I've ordered pieces of the much longer like this one and gotten low numbers in the edition size. Truthfully, it really doesn't make that much of a difference. My collection is, is for me and to keep, and I suppose if you got number one out of the edition, it might be kind of neat to have or, or a certain number. Like uh, people tend to with the Star Wars things, like uh, to get edition number like 1977 out of, say, an edition size of 2500 because 1977 was when the original film, uh, original Star Wars film came out. But that... Uh, I think is going to just about wrap it up for this week's edition of Treks and Sci-Fi. Looks like we're uh, pushing an hour now for the show, which is which is good. It's probably where I'm going to be ending up at, I think, for the most part, just to get in everything I'd like to talk about for the week between Star Trek, other sci-fi uh, news and info, and anything else, uh, or then the collectible area too, which um, I did add a collectible section to the forums. If anyone is interested in a little bit more discussion about that, check that out at... Uh, treksandsci-fi.com. So this is Rico for this week's edition of the podcast, signing off. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoying uh, getting ready for the holidays. I know I am. I know I have a ton of stuff still to do. Hopefully get my decorations and things up tomorrow and maybe go see Narnia, hopefully. Anyway, uh, everyone have a great week. Uh, Enjoy it. Uh, Enjoy the cold weather. Enjoy the snow. I know we have it here where I live, so... Oh, one last thing I wanted to talk about uh, for next week's show. We're going to look at a Next Generation episode. Uh, I believe it's from the third season of The Next Generation called Yesterday's Enterprise, a time travel uh, tale, one of the one of the really best uh, Next Generation episodes. And the collectible that I'm going to look at for next week's show is from the Franklin Mint. Franklin Mint, uh, over the years, had, did a lot of Star Trek pieces, a lot of pewter ships and things. But the item I'm going to look at next week is the three or tri-dimensional chess set that they put out uh, quite a few years ago that I have in my collection and is uh, it's a real nice piece so that's for next week's show if anyone wants to put any audio comments together and email them to me at treksf at gmail.com especially about yesterday's enterprise and what your thoughts are on the show please send those along until then uh, this is Rico signing off for this edition of Treks in Sci-Fi have a good week everyone bye bye This has been a Rick Dosti production. 